Good morning. It's great to see you. Those of you joining us online, welcome too. Glad you're joining us. We are in week two of our study from 1 John, and we're discovering who we are in Jesus in this study. We're looking deeply into our identity, and what I'm going to share with you uh, today is absolutely foundational and crucial um, to understanding who we are in Christ. Uh, what we lost and what we've gained I- in Christ. So I'm going to begin by reading from 1 John chapter 1, beginning with verse 8, and then we're going to go through chapter 2, uh, verse 2. So listen to this scripture. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us, purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim to have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So our reading begins with this thought on sin. If we claim to be without sin, basically we're living a life of deception. We won't understand what's up. We won't understand ourselves. We will miss out on what God has for us. We won't get our identity. We won't understand the fundamental problem of humanity. And verse 10 here, as well as verse 8 of 1 John 1, really says, you know, if you don't acknowledge sin as the essential issue in your life, you're just living in denial. You're living in a delusionary uh, status. And so what we're trying to do in this series is really understand our identity and understand who we are in Christ. And if we're going to properly understand our identity, we need to understand, you know, that we've lost some glory in the past, that sin has caused some hiccups in humanity. It has tainted us, and we're less than we ought to be. So this message could be divided into two big parts, glory lost, and then grace gained and experience an ever-increasing glory once again. Um, so the verses we read this morning from 1 John are just a great launching point into a look into the subject matter of glory, specifically glory lost, grace and truth gained in Christ and what that means. And so we're going to divide the message into those two parts basically uh, today. So let's go back to the beginning. Let's, what was God's in, original intention for his creation? So we're going to go to Genesis 1, and I'm going to read to you verses 26 through 27. Listen to this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So, and if you were to read on in Genesis 1, it would say that we were created then to rule over God's creation. So humanity made in the image of God was designed to reflect God's glory. That was God's original intention for his creation, that we would reflect his glory. Um, People are made in the image of God, and glory describes God. It's not that we're glorious in and of ourselves, uh, but we were God's crowning achievement in creation. That means we have a special spot, and we're supposed to be reflective of God's glory. Now, the term glory is used several hundred times in the Bible. 
common uses are to give glory to God or, or, or to, uh, you know, to understand that in him is glory. It's defined as fame and renown, honor or beauty. It's adoration. It's the condition of highest achievement, prosperity, pleasure, uh, splendor, and magnificence. So I want to make something really clear, okay, so that you all listen to me. The source of glory is God. So when I'm saying, talking on glory, we got to understand our source of glory is always God. Amen? So now you can go, okay, he's not going to be a heretic. He's going to talk on a glory that's coming from God. Because I'm not saying that humanity in and of itself is glorious. But we're going to see later on in this message that part of the ministry of Jesus Christ that he has for you and I is to experience an ever-increasing glory in our lives. So the way I'm using glory here is the idea that Adam and Eve were God's crowning achievement and that brought to them a status of glory. And God concludes creation by saying it's all very good. And there was perfect relationship between Adam and Eve and God. So, so you may be wondering, why am I using the word glory here so much? Because the Bible does. It's a very biblical term. And we, when we describe ourselves, often use terms like self-esteem or self-worth or whatever to describe some problems. And I'm saying, no, we lack the glory we're meant to experience. The problem is we don't understand who we are in Christ and what was lost because of sin and what Christ really offers us once again when we give our lives to him. And we're to reflect God's glory. We're not just another animal. Amen? Amen? We're not, you know, equal to other animals. We're, we're, we're created with a special privilege of being over creation. You know, we live in a culture right now where, where, where more and more animals are almost equal with humans, right? Do you know what I'm saying? You know, I, I have nothing against dogs. And some of you, how many of you own a dog? Yeah, okay, all of you, I love you. I've owned several dogs my, myself. I'm just going to say this. Your dog's not a person. It's a dog. It's a great companion. And it, it provides uh, people. I mean, I, 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 have, I like dogs. But they're not people. Amen? Okay, that was quiet. <laughs> See, we are not just another animal uh, we're not just another link of an evolutionary process. We are the crowning achievement of God the creator. And in this sense, we have a special glory from God. That was lost when we sinned. That, we became now less than what we're intended to be. If you're going to ever understand your identity in Jesus Christ, you've got to understand God's intention for your life. Amen? And so we're going to get to some of this as the message unfolds. Now, as the creation count continues in Genesis, we get to the fall of mankind. So I'm going to read uh, uh, some of the fall of mankind from Genesis chapter 3, beginning with verse 4 through verse 13. Listen to this. Now, the serpent is having this, this dialogue with Adam and Eve, and he's tempting them to eat of the forbidden uh, tree. And he says this in verse 4, you will not certainly die because... Eve said we, they would die if they ate of it. Um, the serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When a woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, pleasing to the eye, lust of the eyes, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, 
pride of life. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. So here's the point. Sin stripped away the glory Adam and Eve had received from God. They became less than something they were designed to be. And the argument that the serpent used was so simple, was so simple. Doubt what God has said and think you know better. That was his whole argument. Doubt what God has said, think you know better. One commentary I read said this. The temptation presented by the serpent was to seek wisdom and good apart from God. Wow. The temptation presented by the serpent was to seek wisdom and good apart from God. The serpent's attack was something like this. You can't be serious about believing God's the only source of goodness and wisdom. You know there's more to life than what God is going to give you. He's hiding something from you, and you could have a lot better life experience out here on your own because, after all, you're as good as God. Right? Isn't that the basic line of logic that the serpent used? You can be like God's, knowing good and evil. I want you to hear something today, beloved. Most of humanity, most of humanity today is trying to do life and seek wisdom and good apart from God. The very thing that the serpent tempted Adam and Eve with, most of humanity is in that very situation today. The serpent promised, you're going to know good and evil. They already knew good. They knew the goodness of God. Now they got to know evil, what sin was all about. Amen? First hand. And the Bible says they knew they were naked. I don't know about you. (laughs) You get those Bible books and they have pictures of them sometimes, especially if you're reading your kid and you'll see Adam and Eve and they're what? Always presented as what? Fully clothed? They're naked, right? And since we're Christians, they're always behind a tree. Right? Eve, the, the palm branch covers the vitals, and Adam is just down here. And you go, they're naked, right? And so we think, well, what, 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 what's going on here? Why, why all of a sudden do they know they're naked? They've been naked all along. Amen? Well, I have a theory. It's just a theory. So if you don't like my theory, don't tell me. Just throw it out. That's fine. It's just, this is my theory, okay? So I, I, I just want to share some thoughts though, on this because I, I, I mean, I racked my brain on this a while back and I thought, hmm, when Moses was visiting God and God was giving him the Ten Commandments and Moses was in the presence of God, he would come down from the mountainside and what would happen? His face would shine with the glory of God. And he put a veil on his face so that the people wouldn't see that that glory would diminish and go away, Okay? So 
He was in the presence of God. And what was happening? There was a glory about him. So Adam and Eve, in perfection of creation, in the presence of God, what are they experiencing? Glory. The glory of God. Maybe they were shiny. Maybe God shone from them. Amen? They sinned. What happened? The glory departed. It was lost. All of a sudden, they look at each other and say, whoa, that's more than I bargained for here, right? You're naked. I'm naked. And so what did they do? They tried to cover that up with fig trees. Leaves, I guess. That's what the scripture says. Or perhaps, you know what? They were just so ashamed they covered each other up. I don't know. But anyway, something drastically changed there. And glory was lost. So here's some consequences of sin. Sin causes people to hide from God. Adam and Eve now feared God, and they hid from him when he came in the garden looking for them. Humanity has been hiding from God ever since that time, fearing him and, and trying not to be seen by him. And even when God finds Adam and Eve, they're still hiding from him. When God said, what happened here? Adam goes, she did it. When he says to her, what have you done? She goes, the serpent did it. And they're still hiding from God. If we sin and deny sin, what happens? We're in delusion. Amen? If we don't acknowledge what's going on and what the problem is, we're deceived. So even when God finds them, they were lost in the midst of their deception. And we still see this today. Think about it. How prevalent this kind of logic is in culture today. Someone will say, well, I'm this way because I'm just predisposed to be this way or genetically defective this way. And so therefore I do these behaviors because that's just the way I am. Or someone will say, my mom and dad, they didn't love me right, so therefore I don't love others right, and I, you know, I'm blaming them. Or, you know, you're in a marriage. If she would just get her act together, our marriage would be great. Or vice versa, right? Or your kids. Oh, man, the kid is so disrespectful, and they can't, you know, they don't listen to me. And we do so much blaming and finger-pointing. It's, I call it the Adam and Eve response to sin. Point a finger, point a finger. And we still see most of society to do that. Uh, doing that, First um, John 1, 8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. Truth's not in us. We have an identity crisis going on in our culture that's massive because most people are living in this condition. If we say we're not, with, we're not sinners, then we're in a place of deception and we have no idea who we are. Amen? And what's needed in our lives. So sin has caused people to be less than they were designed to be. There's glory loss. It brings a deep dissatisfaction in life. And people spend their entire lives trying to be satisfied, trying to do good, trying to attain wisdom outside of God. And it's super frustrating. The problem is not one of self-esteem. It's not one of self-worth. It's one of glory lost and not acknowledging that the culprit is sin. Amen? Some of you aren't amening very much here. But this is the problem. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. It's everywhere in Scripture. It's glory lost. It's everywhere in Scripture. Um, I'm going to skip the next part. But Jesus gives us this invitation to have 
the experience of glory again, an ever-increasing glory, if we receive him. And so I want to just turn the corner really quickly here and go to point three and explain it. Jesus Christ is our salvation, and he's also a source of glory. Our source of glory, I should say. We usually don't get to the second half of that, that point. We usually see Jesus as our salvation, but we don't see that God wants to reestablish in you and I this understanding of residing in his glory and having an ever-increasing experience of glory. Um, let's look at salvation for a moment here. Let's just clarify something. I've talked to people over the years multiple times on um, salvation and if they're saved or not. And I, I, I use a picture that I think is helpful sometimes. So if I'm asking you if you're saved, I'm going to give you three possible answers you can give me. No, right? That's one pretty clear one. Then over here on the other far side would be yes. This isn't hard, is it? And in the middle is the word semi. Interestingly enough, and it used to be this way quite a bit, it's not so much anymore because the no's have no shame now. When I would talk to people and say, what will you say you are on this scale? You know, are you, no, I haven't received Jesus Christ. Are you semi-receptive of him? Or are you there? Most fell in the middle category. I'm semi there. Like, semi-believe in him? Sort of believe in him? Believe in him when it's possible or convenient? Or believe in him when it's inconvenient? Do you do any you know? And so then I would say this. Okay, let's pretend now that you and your wife are trying to get pregnant. Her, not you, necessarily, if you're a man. Okay? So, there's the status of no. You're not pregnant, Right? And there's a status over here of what? Yes, we are pregnant. Is there this middle status of semi-pregnant? So if I ask you, say you're my buddy and we're, we're, we're done having to work out, how's it going with the wife? Is she pregnant yet? And you go, yeah, she's semi-pregnant. I'd go, well, what in the world does that mean? Sort of pregnant, I think. Well, is she pregnant or not? Is it a yes or is it a no? Do you need to understand some basic biology here or what? You don't have a semi-pregnant condition. Unfortunately, friends, in Christianity, there's a lot of that trying to be, uh, worked, uh, trying to be realized or whatever you want to say. A lot of people think I could be semi-Christian. You cannot be semi-Christian. Amen? Either you are and you say yes or you are not. And no. And if you're not sure, I'm going to probably throw you in a no category. Ooh, that seems harsh. Yeah. But you should know if you're saved. You should know if you've given your life to the Lord uh, uh, Jesus Christ. Um, he's our salvation and our hope and source uh, of glory. Romans 10.9 says it this way. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. Your yes should be yes here, amen? If you're going to have an identity that's correct in your life, you've got to acknowledge, first of all, the problem of humanity is sin. And the solution that God has given us is salvation in Jesus Christ, amen? And we have to be people who have a yes, yes, yes to the answer of Christ. Um, I love how Jesus in John chapter 3, the gospel of John, teaches us about salvation and he calls it being born again. You have to be born not of flesh and blood, but of the spirit. 
to be in God's kingdom and to experience, you know, uh, an ever-increasing glory. So glory was lost, but grace is gained through Jesus Christ that puts us on a journey then of ever-increasing glory. Now, here's why I say that. Now, we're going to turn the corner a little bit in this message. So the problem of, our, of, of humanity is sin. Amen, right? Right? You're not going to hear that. You're not going to hear that out there very much. Because most of the world is trying to gain wisdom and goodness apart from God. Not possible to do. That's what Adam and Eve were tempted with. That's part of the fall of humanity. And that's still a problem that always presents itself, okay? So, glory's been lost. We're not what we should be. We're less than something that God created us to be because of sin. Now, what we're going to understand that in Jesus Christ, not only are we saved, but we're supposed to experience an ever-increasing glory experience again. So let me give you this point, ever-increasing glory in Christ. You experience an ever-increasing glory. You experience God's original intention for humanity before the fall. Now, here's why I say this. I go right to uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, and I'm going to read to you verses 7 through 18. Listen to this. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitionary though it was. So what's being said here by Paul is this. When God gave us the law, the Ten Commandments, that that came with glory, Moses' face shone with glory, um, but really what it brought was death. Why? Because it revealed to us that we're what? Sinners. Amen? And that, that we're doing wrong. So then in verse 8, he goes on to say, Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And he's talking about Jesus Christ and the surpassing glory of Jesus Christ. And if what was transitionary came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away, but their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read, It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing what? Glory. You see why I'm using the word glory here? which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So in Christ, we have this grace gained. And uh, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, and, and then John, uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, we are reading grace verses. That if we trust in Jesus, uh, he restores us. We just have to believe and receive it. And if we confess our sins, he forgives us of our sins and all that kind of stuff. Uh, John is telling us it's, it's, in Christ is grace gained. Paul is telling us in the scripture I just read to you, in Christ grace is gained. It, it, so we have this condition, glory loss, but in Christ grace is gained. And what it results in is what? An experience of ever-increasing glory, which is what we're meant to experience. Amen? It's what we're meant to live out as Christ followers. John 1.14 uh, says this. 
The word became flesh, that word referring to Jesus, and he made his dwelling among us. He's pitched his tent in our yard. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. So, get this. Glory's lost because of the fall. Now we can experience an ever-increasing glory experience again because Christ has come and redeemed our souls and he's come bringing grace and truth, the means by which we can experience an ever-increasing glory. Um, I'm going to just share a quick thought on truth and then I'm really going to zoom in on grace today. All right? Uh, Jesus is an embodiment of truth. Whenever we read what he wrote and believe it and receive it, then we're embarking on an experience of ever-increasing glory because this truth sets us free. Amen? And it brings us closer uh, to God. But let's turn our attention now uh, to grace. Grace comes from the Greek word charis. Um, It's a favorable disposition of God towards sinners on account of Christ. It is a benefit, favor, or a gift. It is unearned and unmerited favor. It's a power to come to God for salvation and the power to desire, uh, desire and obey God's ways. It is divine influence in the heart. So you're getting what biblical grace means, right? And, and, and I could go on with more here, but I'm going to stop. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, reveal a two-pronged benefit to grace that we got to understand here. First of all, Titus 2.11 says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. All right. So grace enables salvation. You want to say that with me? Because I think you're all kind of just having one. Let's say that out loud today. Let's read that point together. Grace enables salvation. Now that's further emphasized by, you know, scripture like Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For it is by grace, by the power of God, by the divine favor of God, by the divine influence of God, that you are saved. Through what? Faith. You believe it and you receive it. This is not your own. You can't do it. It is a gift of God, lest anyone should what? Boast. So, God looked down on fallen humanity, lost in their sin, uh, deluded thinking that, you know, their sin's not the problem. He looked down upon them and he said, I'm going to send to you a Savior, one that will save your soul I'm going to do this because of who I am. It's going to be unmerited on your part. All you have to do is believe that I'm doing this and receive it. That, my friend, is the essence of faith. And you're going to be saved through my power, which is grace. And he made a way for us to be sons and daughters again. And that's just the beginning point. Amen? It's not the ending point. It's the beginning point of what God has intended for us. Let's see what Titus chapter 2 uh, verses 12 through 13 tell us. This grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live uh, self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So grace empowers godly living. Okay, write that down because you're going to say it with me. I want you to say this out loud. Okay, here, if you're at home too, go ahead and say it to the computer screen. Here we go. Say it with me. Grace empowers godly living. And I want to conclude this message today with a diagram 
that I think is really helpful in understanding glory lost, grace gained, what it all means, and helps us in our identity then to be uh, our identity process here that we're trying to go through in the book of 1 John to be more established in, in our understanding of, of who we were and what we have now in the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, I could have said that more eloquently, but you get what I'm saying, okay? So we're going to look at this diagram um, right here. You're, you had the same diagram in your, in your note guide. It's black and white, not, not color, because we don't want to spend money printing color. Amen. And I know some of you, some of you are type A's, um, you're firstborns, you're already filling in the blanks, aren't you? Good for you guys, you overachievers, you. I love it. Anyway, um, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the place of grace. This whole thing is entitled the place of grace in your note guide. Um, any rate, um, there, there are a circle and it starts with God. And you can just write this right over the arrows in your, in your note guide. Write the word God. Everything begins with God. Amen. And then God has given us grace. So right in the next arrow, grace. That grace should result in love. Write love down at the bottom arrow. And then performance comes out of all that stuff. Perform, okay? You write that in the the left-hand arrow on your diagram. So now let me begin to walk you through this diagram. So God looked at fallen humanity who were succumbing to sin, right? And all the devastation of sin. And in his great mercy... He sent his only son, Jesus, to die in our place to become an atoning sacrifice, a replacement sacrifice for us on the cross so that we could be saved, all right? So God did this work. It's done in Christ, okay? So write Christ in that blank there by the word done. It is a done deal. God did this work. We do nothing to merit our salvation. We do nothing to earn our salvation, amen? It's done by Christ and his work on the cross. We simply must receive it and we must believe it. Believe and receive. That, my friends, is called faith. So God sent Christ. It's a finished work. Christ said on the cross as he he died, it is finished. He's paid the price for our sins. Amen. Nothing else needs to be added to that. And we just are supposed to believe it and receive it. And that's faith. When all that happens in our lives, friends, it's called declared righteousness. We are declared righteous before God uh, as we do this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus exchanged his righteousness for our, our, our unrighteousness. Amen? And we put on his clothing, so to speak, and we become righteous because of what he's done on the cross. That, my friends, is what 90% of Christians think Christianity is, and they stop there. Therein lies the problem and the challenge. And those outside of the Christian faith, that's probably all they know. Never heard anything else, right? But this grace from God not only enables us to be saved, it enables us to what? Experience transformation and to step into an ever-increasing glory experience in Christ. That if we don't get this, our lives will never be satisfying. Because we're still trying to do them in our own way. We're still trying to gain wisdom and goodness in the absence of God. Amen? And it's frustrating. And it's disillusioning. And we turn to, you know, modern techniques like psychology or whatever. And I'm nothing against those things, okay? They, they, they've got their place. But they can't replace the, the work of Jesus Christ and his transformation in our hearts. Okay? So... Grace, 
pours out power into our life. And that happens by the infilling power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's the way people say, well, how does this grace actually get activated in our life? Through the Holy Spirit. Right? He fills us. And he begins to change us from the inside out. And, and then what happens is um, we love God. We begin to just be devoted to God. We begin to love God. And instead of hiding from him, like Adam and Eve, what do we want to do? We want to be in fellowship with him. We want to exalt his name. We want to make him known. We want to, we want to be in relationship with him. Um, and so there's no more hiding like Adam and Eve from God. Why would we do that? We want full disclosure, amen? We want to just hug on our Father. We want to love on our Father. And, and so, so all of a sudden, we're driven by love of God, not fear of God, right? Because the transformation of God is changing us and, and through the person of the Holy Spirit and through, of course, Jesus Christ. And so now we get to the, what I would call the performance side of our faith. And this is where there's so much lack of understanding, all right, we get to the performance side of our faith. Jesus says, if you love me, what? You'll obey what I command. And so obedience needs to begin to characterize the follower of God. We don't obey to be okay with God, but because we're so okay with God and so in love with God and so motivated by the love of God, what do we want to do? Obey him. We perform out of love for the Father. We perform empowered by the person of the Holy Spirit, right? Those become the driving factors in our life. You know what we're experiencing there? Ever-increasing glory. Amen? We're becoming what we're supposed to become. We're living like we're supposed to be living. Now, right in the left-hand corner, demonstrated righteousness. This is demonstrated righteousness. See, we're, we as followers of Jesus Christ have to understand we're declared righteous in him simply by the work of, of, of Christ. That's the right-hand corner, right? But because of all this transformative work of God in our life, because of the grace of God, because of the person of the Holy Spirit, because of our love of, of, of God, we are to what? Demonstrate righteousness. That's glory living. We live entirely differently. We live as we're supposed to live. We don't live you know, in, in a way that, that, that brings uh, uh, shame uh, to the Father. Um, we don't do to be okay with God. We do because we are okay with God. Now, here's where people try to, well, let me give you this point. I didn't, I, I, I'm messing up the sound one back there because I didn't do this point. Um, but let's, let's summarize this thing. We're saved by grace through faith. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, motivated by the love of God, you're enabled to live obediently for the glory of God. All right? Just in case you're a note taker, I would drive you nuts if I didn't give you that note, right? So th- this, this is a word summary of the diagram. Um, but let's go back to the diagram again, guys, if you, if you don't mind here. Um, and so, so now we have this demonstrated righteousness thing going on in our life, uh, and the world sees Christ-likeness, and it brings glory to God. And we're experiencing the ever-increasing glory of God in our life. Do you know what so many people try to do? Especially American people. We're, we're terrible at this. Because we're taught to perform, 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 right? I mean, I lived this way all my life, basically, until about 10 years ago. I just was about perform, 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 right? We try to jump in at the, at the do part of the, of the of diagram there. We do to be accepted. And so write the word self by the word do there. And you know what you do with that? Put a big X over it. Stop it. Amen? 
You don't do to be okay with God. You can't do to be okay with God. Your, your righteous acts are like filthy rags, as Isaiah said. You just can't do it. Stop trying to do to be accepted by God. Um, that's the wrong approach. Achievement for acceptance. But it's very American, isn't it? When we do that, what do we do? We short-circuit the whole process. We don't do the rest of the circle. We just jump in at the do and think, I'm going to be okay with God. Hopefully, I do so many good things that God loves me and I get into heaven. Oh, my goodness. Whenever I hear that, I go, Let, let's talk. You can't just jump in the circle at the do part and think I could do to be okay with God. That's, that's a virtual impossible thing uh, to do, the short circuits of the transformation that God has for you. All right? So is this helpful? I hope it is. It's helpful for me. Last time I talked on this, I think, was in 2007, and I was pastoring at New Hope. So it's been a while since I've looked at this, but it's really a helpful uh, diagram. I like how um, uh, Randy Pope calls this whole thing that Christ has done for us the great swap. We get something we utterly don't deserve because of what Christ has done for us. And we get to live a life that God originally intended, one of ever-increasing glory in this experience and this interaction intimacy with God. Amen? It's the greatest exchange ever. But we don't want to short-circuit this, and we, we want to live the whole circle out. And I think a lot of, a lot of Christ followers even just get to the point, done in Christ, done, I can do whatever. And you live like a practicing atheist without God really governing your life. And that's sad indeed when there's so much power and transformative uh, experience to be uh, had. And, and we, we just need to step in the fullness of what God has for us, all right? He wants, has this ever-increasing glory experience for you and I uh, to participate in. Um, so anyway, I'm going to end there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to some takeaways real quick here, okay? Um, some means to grace-filled life. So for me, these are really important. If we're really going to be operating in the grace of God and loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, always rejoice in Jesus. No matter what is going on, you know, uh, always rejoice in what he's done and believe and receive in his good promises. You know, we're going through some devastating things right now in culture like we always are. It's always been bad. And one of the things I, I, I'm taking to heart from this last seminar I went to uh, with Larry Osborne was, he, he says this frequently, especially when you're talking to him in person, God is in control of those who are in control. Don't ever forget that. Just remember, God is in control of those who are in control. God was in control of Nebuchadnezzar when he was in control, right? God is always in control, uh, whoever is in control. Never, ever lose that perspective and always understand this. We win in the end. Amen? You're watching the Super Bowl today. You have no idea who's going to win. Some of you are going to record it, especially if you root for one of the teams. And if your team wins, you'll probably rewatch that. You know how it ends, right? You're going to know how that game ends. And you're not going to be all wringing your hands and nervous about how will this game end. You know how it ends. We know how it ends, don't we? Rejoice in that. Rejoice in that. There's strength and power. That's part of your identity in Jesus Christ. It's part of that experience of ever-increasing glory. Ask and receive the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. So vital to this process. So vital. 
That's the means by which God pours his grace out into your life through the person of the Holy Spirit. Ask for him and receive his enabling power. When you're at wit's end, you don't know what to do, just say, Holy Spirit, flood my soul. Direct me, guide me, impute to me God's wisdom and ways. You know, do things in me I can't do in myself. Control, you know, help me to guard my mouth. Whatever you need to do, ask the person of the Holy Spirit to be active and, 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 and involved in your life. This is so fundamental and so basic, though. You've got to know and you've got to put into practice God's word. This is a way to really experiencing the ever-increasing glory of God. Just know his word, put it into practice. And then this is one I'm learning here to, to really embrace more and more, is to allow other believers to be part of your journey in Christ. You commensurate with them, talk with them. Share your life a bit with other ones. I do this more now than I ever have. I mean, I'm a typical male and don't share my feelings very readily. Amen. Some of you go, amen. Some of you men should go, amen. Thank you. So share with somebody, find somebody that you can commiserate with and talk with and spur one another on to good works in Christ Jesus. That's another means of experiencing this ever-increasing glory of God in your life. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, I want to thank you for today. Thank you for this uh, gospel, or this, I should say, epistle of 1 John. And it, its relevancy, Lord, I, I, I just look at the basic formula today of uh, identity understanding. We've got to know that the problem is sin. If we don't, we're in delusion. We can never understand our identity till we understand that. We've got to know that glory was lost, Lord. But praise be to your name, We've gained grace through Jesus, this power, this divine influence, this divine enablement, Lord, to become your sons and daughters once again, to experience an ever-increasing glory in you. Once more, we're back to the beginning, Lord. And praise be to your name that you have this plan all along that you were never caught unaware, Lord. And so today, Lord, may we be people who are filled with the person of the Holy Spirit and experiencing this ever-increasing glory kind of relationship with you, God. Glory be to your name, Jesus. We just love you and praise you and ask all these things today in your name.